Our lives are filled with promises. Employers make promises to their employees. Couples make promises to each other on their wedding day. And parents make promises to their children on a regular basis. The question is not do we make promises, but do we keep the promises we make? Can people count on us to do what we say we will do? It has been said that greatness isn't determined by the number of promises you make, but by the ones you keep. Are we great people? Can people count on us to do what we say we will do? Does God keep his promises? That's a question that arises in Psalm 132. Join Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman as they consider the promises of God in Psalm 132. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the Psalms. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Psalm 132 as we join their discussion. Nathan, Vicki, have you seen times when people's character has been revealed by their decision to either keep or break their premise? I don't know about character, but I know that there was a uh, minister that I knew, and he's a great guy, but he would constantly tell people that he would call them, and he never would. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, all the time, and it became kind of a joke, but I know it affected my ministry because now I won't tell someone I'll call them unless I actually write it down. Okay. Or better yet, I say, hey, let's talk about this later. Give me a call during the week. Right. right. That way. It's yeah. on you. It's on them. On and it's not on, that, on me. I but. think that's smart. I was thinking about that this week. I know two men and they seem so great because if you ask them to do anything, they say yes, mm -hmm. but they don't. They oh. just <laughs> don't come through. But at the time, you know, they say, yeah, I'll do that. You bet. You count on me, but you can't count on them. Right. And, th and then if you say to them, I need to know you're going to do it, then they turn around on you and go, I just said I'd do it. But you pretty much know they won't. <laughs> yeah, I think of a time when, believe it or not, I had just finished my Master Divinity program and uh, was on the center of Canada, but there was a church that had invited me to join their staff on the uh, west of Canada, and uh, that's thousands of miles apart. And so I graduated, Noel and I packed up the truck and we pulled our stuff across the country and came to the church. And before we went to uh, settle in for the night, I dropped by the church and say hello to the pastor who invited me. Came into the church, knocked on his office door, and he had a surprised look on his face. <laughs> oh, no. What? I didn't think you would come. I said, what? <laughs> you, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, and then he ended up leaving a couple of months later because he'd accepted a, another position in a church plant. Um, oh my word! Uh, and uh, oh God, you gave God, you gave me your word. Anyway, it uh, worked out, but it was that was. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Oh, boy. Having said that, you know, I just contrast that sometimes just thinking of um, uh, your father, Vicki, Ed Robinson. I never knew him not to keep his word. 
That's true. Ever. That's true. Never. When he said he would come and do something, it was done. And he demanded it. I remember him saying to me, uh, you know, we worked together um, leading the doctor of ministry program at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And he said to me, I don't care when you work. Uh, you can come in or not come in, but you have to have everything done on time. Mm -hmm. Like It better be done. Yeah, I, I don't mind someone asking me to keep my promises when they keep theirs. I guess that's one of the reasons I find Psalm 132 fascinating, because it deals with the issue of promises. Yes, this is a song of ascents, and uh, we've been doing going through the Psalms of Ascents together. And so we probably, if you listen regularly, you'll know that it's a psalm of worship that the Jewish pilgrims would sing on their way to the temple in Jerusalem. But unlike the other Psalms of Ascents that we have discussed, the structure of this psalm is really, I think, kind of unique because it centers around two formal oaths. The first oath is one that was made to the Lord, and it highlights David. And, and frankly, it's kind of aggressive, almost accusatory in tone. In fact, uh, Vicki, would you mind just reading that to us? Sure. It says, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Wow, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? David made an oath to the Lord that, um, that he would ensure that the temple got built. Did he succeed? Well, he had a kid that did it, so <laughs> by extension. <laughs> well, you're right. So in a sense, God did tell him because he was a man of war that he didn't want him to, to build the temple. Correct. Too much blood on his hands. But David, David was not uh, insignificant to this task. I think he still did his best to fulfill that vow, didn't he? Yeah, he went ahead and made preparations for the temple and gathered materials for the temple. And so he set the stage to be able to make it happen. He was the facilitator, if you will. Yeah, and really detailed. I mean, in Chronicles, we read that David gave his son Solomon the plans for the temple's portico, its buildings, its storerooms, upper parts, inner rooms, the place of atonement. He gave them all the plans that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple, the surrounding rooms, the treasuries. I mean, it goes on and on. He didn't just think this was, you know, something that might be a good thing to accomplish. I mean, he really invested himself. And not only that, but we read in verse 6 through 9 that it was successful, right? Because the psalmist goes on to say, what about their upcoming experience in the temple? He says, we heard it in Ephrathath. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying... Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Yeah. So it's fascinating that of all the preparations that David made for the temple, one of the things he, he accomplished was to bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. Now, that happened earlier, I know that, but that was the centerpiece of their worship of God, and it was placed in the temple. So people could come and worship at his footstool, because that is where God was dwelling. It was his resting place. 
And you remember that David rescued, if you will, the ark after it lay for a number of years in uh, Jareth Kiam and brought it with dancing, as we saw in the book of Samuel, into Jerusalem because he was so excited for God to come. But now comes the demand. David's oath is mentioned, but then in verse 10, here comes a demand. Well, the demand is for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. Hmm. So now we begin to get a glimpse of the historical context of this psalm. Somebody wrote, for the sake of your servant David, because David kept his oath, do not reject your anointed one. What's going on here, uh, Nathan? Who's talking? Well, the anointed one is referring to the king. So don't reject the king. So not David, but whom? Solomon. Right. So it's Solomon, who actually is the one who put the Lego set together that David had prearranged for him. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> he assembled it. Right. Uh, David is... may have drawn the plans, but uh, Solomon made sure it was done and done well. And he was um, the one to discover that dad didn't think it through exactly the correct way <laughs> as they're coming on building problems. <laughs> but it's a pretty strong demand. Look, David kept his oath to you, God. So because of that, do not reject me as your anointed one. Keep your promise. <laughs> People make those kind of demands today. I mean, not to be king, but do they kind of see this uh, tit-for-tat kind of uh, relationship with God sometimes? Oh, yeah. It's let's make a deal with God. <laughs> we, we all play it. We all do it. Uh, uh -huh. I, I remember my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, uh, Mr. Al Smith, who is with the Lord, has been with the Lord for a while now. But he 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 had said uh, his family all went to church and he wanted nothing to do with it. And then he had like a congenital heart failure and uh -oh. he's in the hospital and he played, let's make a deal with God. If you get out of, me out of here, God, I will go to church. And <laughs> God got him out of there. He was better. And as soon as he was well enough to leave the house, did he go to church? No. Oops. <laughs> Eventually he did because he became one of my favorite teachers. Uh, but, but yeah, we play this this all the time, sometimes with serious things. You know, God, you know, help my children out. And if you do this, I'll begin tithing uh, to you. Uh, sometimes with not such serious things, like football teams, if... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know Careful. if anyone watched the 49ers and Lions yeah. game. That was, as a Lions fan, that was uh, that was heartbreaking. Um, <laughs> for those who are not in the U.S., that's um, American style football. Yes, um, yeah, the dangerous kind that uh, is not healthy for you. To play. you get knocked around all the time. Yep. Oh my word. Well, the psalm continues with oath number two. This time. It's not uh, Solomon um, demanding that God keep his promise to David, but now this is, a, this is an oath that God makes. Vicki, what was God's oath? The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. Hmm. One of your descendants I will place on your throne, for the Lord has chosen Zion. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned. Woo! God makes a promise. That's that's pretty significant. It's a promise that actually will also not only benefit Solomon for sitting on the throne, but all the people of Israel will benefit. And he goes on, he says, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor hmm. I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation 
and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Wow. So this vow uh, benefits all the people, but uh, obviously particularly Solomon and, uh, and his sons. It says, here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, so the so horn, it, I mean, that that's power. The, that's power. The horn is an image of power. The bull has horns, and that's the sign of his power. Ah. Right. And a lamp, so he'll know where he's going and what to do. He'll have insight and guidance from the Lord. That's amazing. Solomon is saying here, my father kept his oath to you, God. I want you to keep your commitment to me. I want to enjoy all that you have promised. And God responds by saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. And he outlines it in great detail. And by the way, what happened to Solomon? God kept his word. Yeah. First Kings 4 it says, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They Oof. ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. Yeah. And by the way, speaking of a lamp and uh, insight, did God uh, answer that with Solomon, Nathan? Oh, he sure gave him wisdom beyond wisdom. In verse 29 of 1 Kings 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom, insight, and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world, who had heard of his wisdom. Woof. Wow. And not only that, in 1 Kings 10, King Solomon was greater in riches as well as wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. I mean, did God keep his word? Yeah, obviously. And then some. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Solomon, with all of God's blessings, built the temple, brought the ark into the temple. In fact... I think Psalm 132 that we're looking at is one of Solomon's songs. Hmm. And I think by looking at the tone of it and the content, this was one of the inaugural Psalms. I mean, it was sung as the temple was opened, as the people came for the first time. I think this is one of the great Psalms of dedication of the temple. Solomon wrote it, Solomon introduced it. But there's a but. There's a but. What do you mean, yeah. Vicky? I mean, he like like so many, he did not end well. And you would think that a guy who was so wise, I thought my father was wise. Uh-huh. He was the wisest was. man I ever knew, and he was. But he didn't know about reptiles and animals and all those things he said. <laughs> no, he birds did not. and fish. No, he didn't. He couldn't keep a plant alive. But I remember him. I remember him watering, faithfully watering one of my mother's plastic plants because he couldn't tell the difference. But but here's Solomon. He knew about all of those things, and yet he did not end well. So okay, we know that things really went bad at the end of his life, right, Nathan? No, no, it didn't. God raised up enemies. They opposed Solomon. They tore 10 of the 12 tribes away from Solomon and made Jeroboam their king. Wow. So he started real strong, 
but then he lost <laughs> 10 out of the 12 tribes who had a rival that, that king. That is a failing grade. That's, a, that's not good. <laughs> that's a, and God rose up enemies against him. Like that doesn't, I thought God promised all these good things. So that, he did. It, yeah, he so, did. It sounds like he broke his promise, that God broke his promise. Yeah. But if you look carefully at the promise God made, yeah, I confess, we skipped a little bit of that psalm where it gives the answer. Because in verse 11 and 12, what do we read? I'll read it because I find this troubling. It said, The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your descendants I will place on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then your sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. Hmm. So there's a condition. Yes, it came with a condition. And Solomon knew it. Not only, we know he knew it because if he authored this song, which I think he did, he wrote it there. But 1 Kings 9 tells us exactly how God communicated it. It says, when Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and achieved all he desired, the Lord appeared to him. I will establish your throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. In verse 6, it says, But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple, and Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. Wow. This isn't some hidden clause buried somewhere in an obscure part of a long contract. God is really clear with him, really clear that, yes, I will do this, but there is a condition. And Solomon, did he, as, even as the wisest man, did he uh, take this into account in the choices he made at the end of his life? No, it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives, even that, his wives, turned his heart after other gods. <laughs> Men. <laughs> and his and 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 his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been hmm. on a hill east of Jerusalem Solomon had built a high place for Chemosh the detestable god of Moab and for Moloch the detestable god of the Ammonites he did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods God did make an oath with Solomon, but it included a mutual commitment. When God makes promises to us, it is a binding contract that places demands on both parties. And when either party fails to fulfill their obligation, penalties are applied, just like in contract disputes in, all, in real life today. And that's what happened to Solomon. Solomon was given oaths, a promise of blessing by God, but he was in breach of that contract. And God responded by tearing away the 10 Northern tribes, just yeah. as God tore the kingship away from Saul for his disobedience a generation earlier. And what I think makes this Psalm even more poignant 
is that, as I mentioned earlier, I think it seems to be written and sung and added to Israel's hymn book the day the temple was dedicated. On that day, his heart was fully devoted to God. But before his death, the situation changed. And the blessings he had once enjoyed were gone. And he and his people were the poor as a result. Even today, we know that Solomon, for all his wealth and wisdom, walked away from God's promises. And for centuries, God's people have sung this psalm, knowing that it was written by a man who failed to claim the promises he wrote in his own song and deeply hurt the nation he led in the process. I, I just think this psalm is so important for us because we need to remember God's promises are conditional. We love to sing the old chorus, standing on the promises of God. Do you remember that one, Vicki? Mm -hmm. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling winds of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And that chorus is true. God always keeps his promises. But it is also true that sin separates us from God and from the promises that he gives to us. Unholy people cannot and will not enjoy the blessing God wants to give them. Darkness cannot dwell in the presence of light. It just cannot. The promises of our righteous God require a life of righteousness. So, Nathan, help me here. Does this mean that we have to live a life of moral perfection or we lose out on everything? No, no. It does mean that we have to be people of repentance, though, and are honestly looking at ourselves and repent when we've done wrong. I think that's a key missing component in Western American Christian lives right mm -hmm. now is there's a lack of repentance, and we should be eager to repent and quick to repent as we uh, as we find that we have have made uh, mistakes and or sin. And when we do sin, God is faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness when we repent. Of course. And it is an amazing thing to experience, not to double down and not to pretend that we haven't done anything and not to you know kind of whitewash our our uh, our our character in the public eye, but instead to just truly and genuinely repent. One of the things I find helpful when talking to people is to say, is there a resistance in your soul to sin? Mm. Are you fighting it? Whoever claims to be without sin is a liar. We know that. But have you given in as Solomon did that I know it's wrong, but I don't care? Mm. Or are you at war with what you know is opposite of God. No, that's that's really helpful because I know when I talk with, you know, usually parents or a spouse and they have someone in their life, husband or a child who is uh, addicted to pornography, mm -hmm. what I want to know from the person who's using the pornography is, do you hate this and you can't stop or do you not care? Hmm. Right. Because if they don't care, it's over. There's you can't you can't help them. There's no there's no worthwhile of, of expending effort into it because they fully embrace their sin and they've gone down that route. But if hmm. they if they hate it, but lack the power to stop, well, that's exactly where they need to be. That that is the place where God works in and through is people who, as you said, just have this resistance to sin, but lack the power to fully resist it. I think the 
music that accompanied Psalm 132 was happy and joyful. But the irony is that at the end of his life, it is a, it's a sad tribute to a man who chose to walk away from God and all the promises God made to him. Well, we have a perfect modern parallel for this, especially because they mentioned all of these songs that he wrote, which, you know, we only have a very small amount of them collected sure. in the Psalms, like what, maybe two or three mm -hmm. at the most. But it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of these Christian artists that you, you grow up and you listen to. And it's like, wow, you know, this, you know, this, this man, this woman, and they, they have this great music. And then they, you know, they have a, an album that goes a little more popular and God's uh -huh. kind of sort of mentioned a little bit, maybe just in second person, you, you, you <laughs> fulfill all my desires, right? Instead right. of, instead of God or Jesus. And then, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're making like booty music and, you know, <laughs> knocking boots and stealing wives or stealing husbands or whatever and getting drunk. And you're like, what in the world happened? And and I, I that's Solomon's that's Solomon's path, right? He starts off with these worshipful yeah. songs, and I think it'd probably be a good guess that the reason why you don't have a lot of these is he went secular music, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't worth recording. Um, so so he probably had some of those booty songs, and he probably also had some of these very dark songs because he has the the child sacrifices with these false gods that he's training Israel to follow. Let's not forget the sad lesson of this once cheerful song that when we walk away from God, we walk away from his promises, from the blessings we could have enjoyed. We need to learn the sobering truth of Solomon in Psalm 132, that when we choose to surrender to sin, we shatter the future God wants to give us. What happens when God's people don't take God's command seriously? We pay a price. We give up the future God wanted us to enjoy. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on your social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through the Psalms. Be sure to join us. But now this is a this is an oath that God makes. In we fact, should we we should definitely have some sound effects for this episode. You know, oath number one, <laughs> oath number two. <laughs> uh, feel free. <laughs> there was one line. It was the line that you said about unholy people that's in the script and you read it word for word but, okay. but you were um, soft on I'm sorry I don't have my script anymore unholy people cannot and will not enjoy the blessings that God wants to I give got it. Yep. yeah just just say it again but say it you, you were real soft on unholy it. people cannot there, and there will not enjoy the blessings that God <laughs> wants to give them that's what you need to do uh -huh. Charles Finney kind of thing 
I'll probably also cut out the amount of times that I said booty music. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded like you knew a lot about it. Uh, 